Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. It is the ultimate in commercial broker training. I guarantee you'll like it if you're an experienced broker. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, those of you who uh, listen to this show a lot uh, over the years or watch it, know my next guest. This is Please welcome Mitch Rochelle. He's founding partner with Macro Trend Advisors, and you've seen him on our show uh, for years with PwC, talking about their emerging trends report and other things. You've also seen him on Fox Business. You've heard him, seen him on Fox News, and you've seen him on Bloomberg and other places. He also has a podcast called No Po Podcast. Mitch Rochelle is joining us from his home in Florida, batting down the hatches for a storm, so he's not in his regular suit and tie. Mitch, good to see you. Yeah, I'm wearing pants too, Michael. That's a running joke that you and I have had for uh, a dozen years probably. And uh, it's great to be back with you. And thank you for wearing pants too, Mitch. I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, Mitch, you know, you, you talk a lot about uh, over the years and, and, and on Fox and things about the economy and about what's going on uh, with commercial real estate and real estate in general and kind of opportunities and things like that. So I'd like to talk to you about here we are, November 2022. We've had just an incredibly fast uh, ramp up in these interest rates uh, from the Fed, and it's obviously having an impact on real estate and commercial real estate. Um, well, you know, talk to us first about kind of the the jar of of these increases and what you think the uh, impact is so far, or might be moving forward. What's interesting is the Fed has moved very, very aggressively to combat inflation using the handful of tools that they have in the toolbox. The, the primary tool is to raise the federal funds rate, uh, which is the very short end of the Treasury curve. Um, and they've been doing that aggressively with three quarter point uh, increases or 75 basis points to you insiders. What's very interesting to me about that is they fell 25 basis points short on a couple of occasions of one full percentage point, which was the tool that Paul Volcker had when he was Fed chair. Um, and he was trying to combat inflation that was considerably higher than it uh, is today, but still inflation stubborn nonetheless. The other tool that they have in the toolbox is to unwind the Fed's balance sheet. And if you recall, uh, back to the global financial crisis, the Fed was purchasing assets to stabilize markets. And in the wake of the COVID lockdowns, the Fed was uh, printing money by purchasing assets. And they were purchasing both treasury securities, short and long-term treasury securities. They were also purchasing mortgage-backed securities, not commercial mortgage-backed securities, CMBS, but they were uh, purchasing residential mortgage-backed securities. And by doing so, they pumped a lot of liquidity uh, into the money supply. Well, so what's the Fed doing right now? They're unwinding that balance sheet, meaning when some of those uh, bonds mature, they're not repurchasing them. They're letting the market repurchase them and reprice them. And the other thing they're doing, as I mentioned earlier, is they're raising interest rates, right? This is all stuff we know. But the impact of that has been basically a credit lockdown for commercial real estate. Because of the uncertainty in terms of where the Treasury curve is headed, 
a lot of lenders are saying, whoa, let's slow down. And they're slowing down for two reasons. One is they're having a hard time pricing uh, the, the, the loans that they make because they're not sure where the treasury curve's landing. The other thing that they're concerned about is good old fashioned credit risk. You remember that? Like whether or not a borrower is going to repay us. So those two big glaring uncertainties have made it very difficult to secure financing in commercial real estate. And as I've said many times on your program, real estate is a capital intensive asset class and, you know, players in real estate are addicted to being able to borrow money. So right now, the lack of availability of credit is the thing that's really taken the, the wind out of the sails. I'm going to stick with a few nautical terms, uh, given the way I'm dressed, taking the wind out of the sails of commercial real estate. And I suspect it's going to be that way for a while, this period of uncertainty, not knowing where things are going to land. Yeah, we're, we're seeing in the market, we're seeing about a 50% reduction in transaction volume, and we're seeing uh, cap rates uh, rise on the transactions. Uh, we are closing. Uh, we're, we're a team that sells uh, commercial properties in the southeast U.S. of all, all property types, and you know we're seeing cap rates adjust differently on different property types, right? There's, there seems to be uh, a more promising future in some sectors, right? Yeah, you know, what's very interesting is, and, you know, I know you've done a lot of uh, speaking to the industry, Michael, about cap rates. Um, and But the, in the 12 plus years I've known you, interest rates really have only gone down, right? So we don't know in recent history, in sort of the modern uh, real estate finance world, and I'm saying modern is sort of post not just global financial crisis, but post the savings and loan crisis in the 80s, we really have seen interest rates do nothing but go down from that period of time. So we don't know how cap rates truly perform in a rising interest rate environment. And I think what's going on right now is cap rates are going up because there's a shortage of buyers and you know, so the supply and demand of buyers and sellers has shifted. We've gotten that this holds true for residential real estate, single family homes as well. We went from a seller's market to a buyer's market, and that shift in power has really shifted pricing. And because when buyers are in control, they're going to want to pay less. And that's, and the cash flow is what it is. So I think what that's doing is that has the impact of raising cap rates. But I don't know that you can make the per se correlation between higher interest rates being higher cap rates. We need to see more transactions in the market, more price discovery to really see where cap rates land. Yeah, I agree, and and we're seeing price discovery as brokers because I guess we're the we're we're doing the deals, right? And the and the right. uh, You're the first and, line of defense. Yeah, and everybody else yeah. is kind of tracking it, uh, but we're certainly seeing it uh, increase. So we we put out some really nice office properties at, at a nine cap, um, and and had multiple competing bids. Uh, so it's interesting to see. Um, that there are a lot of buyers out there that kind of like these these markets and these opportunities. They they have the, the equity, they have the funds, and they want to invest them, right? Right. We, and we, we've talked about this in the past. I mean, back to my days of, you know, talking to you about emerging trends in real estate, which goes back two years. I haven't, you know, been gone from my old firm for, for more than two years. But we talked about the the billions of dollars of dry powder sitting on the sidelines. And, and that probably still is the case. So there's a lot of equity that's going to jump in 
And if you look at some of the largest private equity players in real estate today, you look at Blackstone, you look at Apollo, you look at Carlisle, and I can name others. They got their start in real estate investing, buying troubled assets from the Resolution Trust Company, the RTC, back in the late 80s, early 90s, right? That's where they got their start. So they know how to play that game and they're waiting and there are going to be some phenomenal opportunities to invest. Geez, it makes a lot more sense for me to buy an office building at a nine cap today, right? That's kind of two times where the 10-year treasury is, right? That makes sense to me than buying an office property for a four cap when we don't know what's going to happen to the office sector. And I'm happy to jump into my thoughts on all the different real estate food groups, but we don't know what's going to happen with the office sector. That is the biggest unknown in commercial real estate. So it would be crazy to price that thing at, you know, at, at, at low single digits from a cap rate perspective. That just makes no sense. Yeah. And let's, let's touch on, um, the different food groups and we are America's commercial real estate show, but the residential uh, market kind of impacts the economy, right? And, and the markets, uh, what do you see happening there? You know, the obviously home buyers uh, affordability is that has changed with these higher rates. I think the mistake that most people make when looking at multifamily investment and talking about it, they don't talk about single family investment simultaneously. And I did an interview on this uh, topic uh, yesterday uh, for print. And I mean, multifamily is single family housing, but in a communal fashion. So a person making a decision about where they're going to live and how much they're going to pay has three options. Stay with mom and dad, okay, if that's not an option. Uh, buy a house or rent someplace, right? They could rent a single family family house, that's a growing business, or they could rent an apartment, right? It could be um, upstairs in somebody's house, and it could be a thousand unit complex, right? The, it, it varies. But if affordability is a challenge, right, there's a decision that buyers um, of homes or renters are making about what they can afford. So if you want to look at the housing market, you have to look at both of them. And if you look at them in the aggregate, you'll notice one thing. If we go back to the global financial crisis, we're probably about 5 million dwelling units shy. If you compare household formations, and that's statistically when children move out of their parents' house, we compare household formations to new additions to supply of both single family and multifamily uh, in terms of units. So it's still a very, very tight market. And right now, there isn't a lot of um, opportunity to invest in new multifamily because in some markets, it's still very restrictive. I talked about interest rates. I talked about the lack of credit. So we're, we still have this glaring supply shortage, which leads to an affordability shortage. So I think if you look at all the food groups, multifamily looks really, really appealing to me because people need to live someplace. But the repricing that's going to take place in single family is not the catastrophe that many talk about on television. I certainly don't talk about it on television uh, because we're up probably 30 to 40 percent, maybe even 50 percent in some parts of the country. And if we give back 10 percent, we're just literally giving back a chunk, a third of the gains and values in the last two years, which is far from a catastrophe. So I think there's going to be a short-term repricing, but people need to live someplace, and we still have a housing shortage, which means we have an affordability crisis. Right. 
and obviously it's going to ha having an impact now on uh, new residential builders, right? Because you know the the, the affordability issue and, and the value change there is, is more impactful. But but what do you think about the existing homeowners compared to uh, the global financial issues we had you know 12 years ago or so? Um, because right, it seems like a lot of homeowners have really locked in really low rates. So that, you know, it's not like they they shouldn't really lose their homes. We still have plenty of jobs, right? Right. So right, from a macroeconomic perspective, the economy still supports people being able to make their mortgage payments and pay rent. And I can drill down a little bit more deeply on that in a second. But if you go back to the global financial crisis. We had almost 15 months of supply of existing homes on the market at the time. Right now, we have under four months supply of existing homes on the market. So what does that tell you about the, the, the direction of prices and the upward pressure on prices? Doesn't mean that prices won't fall, but there's a floor because there's a shortage of supply. And for you accountants in the room, uh, you know, we, you know, houses generally get sold on a LIFO basis being last in first out, which means the homes that are on the market that have been on the market for a long time remain on the market because there's something probably wrong with them. What could be wrong with them is a seller that has a ridiculous asking price and isn't budging or there's something structurally wrong with the house. So when new houses hit the market, if they're priced intelligently, they're moving. So we're not adding meaningfully to supply. I would have thought in the last couple of months, with interest rates going up and people worrying about selling their homes, we would all of a sudden see six months supply in the market, but we're not. Uh, so the reality is single family homes are going to continue to, you know, at least hold their value or lose their value moderately, but it's not a complete washout in the housing business. Who's it a washout for? Residential brokers, because I think transaction volume is probably going to be down considerably. Right. Good point. And I haven't had you on the show in a while, so I'm curious of your view of the office sector uh, at this point. Here we are, November 2022. A lot of companies are, are getting back in the office. A lot of companies are giving back space as well or not renewing. So there doesn't seem to be uh, any one size fits all for, for any company. But, but what's your view of the office market moving forward? Yeah, if there's a place that there's uncertainty, it's certainly the office sector because companies were very, very quick to try to give back space in the midst of the pandemic when it was just sitting there mothballed. Why am I paying rent if no one's going to the office? The problem is we're getting into this mode where people are coming into the office twice a week. Uh, it's somewhere between Tuesday and Thursday that they come into the office. Nobody likes Monday, so they don't go in the office and nobody wants to be in the office on Friday. So somewhere <laughs> between Tuesday and Thursday, you have the bulk of your workforce coming into the office. So, you know, you have to have space that can accommodate the workforce for three days a week. Uh, companies have gone to hoteling and other alternative lay layouts for the office, but you still need the space. I think if the labor market begins to, to uh, weaken a little bit and we start to see job losses, which may be on the horizon because periods of prolonged inflation ultimately lead to falling corporate profits. Falling corporate profits mean people start cutting heads. If that's the case, you may find companies being able to have more power to tell their employees to get their butts back to the office. The other thing to remember is what's the average office lease? I'm just going to go with five years for now. 
So if you have a lease coming up right now, that's a tough decision. Do we renew it or not? But if you have a longer term lease uh, and you're just going to stick with it, it's really what happens on that rollover that is the uncertain thing. I'm seeing a lot of situations where, let's say somebody has 100,000 feet and it's on four floors, for example, maybe they give up one of the floors on the renewal uh, and try to you know, make do with less space. Um, if you haven't been gotten efficient with your space use, uh, maybe people are getting a little bit more efficient with their space use. But I don't think the office building is dead. It's far from it. I also think that there's less focus on CBD office and more focus on suburban office. And what I mean by that is, if anything, if companies are promoting flexibility, then you're going to find that they're going to have more office locations closer to where people live. And that just seems to make a lot of sense to me. So I think there may be a little bit of a power shift away from cities back towards the suburbs because that's where people live. But I don't think the office sector is dead, but it's certainly going through a repricing period. We may have talked about the nine cap before, and it's tremendous uncertainty. And if you're buying into a period of uncertainty, you're not going to want to pay aggressively for that asset because you don't know what the future holds. Right. And we're talking with Mitch Rochelle, founding partner with Macro Trend Advisors about the economy and, and real estate. Are we in a recession now, Mitch? Uh, uh, are, are we headed to one? What's your expectations? Well, so I don't know. I defined recession the way I learned it in uh, 1979 in macro uh, economics at Bentley University when I took it from a great professor who's no longer teaching. Uh, two consecutive quarters of a contracting economy is uh, a recession. Uh, quarter one and quarter two were, re were negative. That would have suggested that we are in a recession. Quarter three was positive. But if you look at why it was positive, uh, we, we had trade imbalance, um, which sort of drove um, um, the economy forward. Um, but I think that's temporary. I think we're going to find ourselves in this series of double dip recessions. Two quarters slow, one quarter positive for, for various reasons inventory changes, trade changes, then another quarter slow, then another quarter positive. Um, what we're not in, not the question to ask, but what we're not in is a stagflation period, right? Which is high inflation and a stagnating economy. Um, the measurement of a stagnating economy tends to be job losses. And for some reason, we keep chugging along with job gains. But if you dig deep into those jobs reports, I see 200,000 plus jobs getting created uh, in, in the previous month. How many of those jobs, rhetorical question, Michael, how many of those jobs are second and third jobs that Americans are taking on so that they can make ends meet? I would dare say the majority of them. And how do I know that? Because the unemployment rate ticked up and the labor force participation rate went down. So I think we have a very disrupted labor market and uh, it's the next shoe that will fall. So I, it's going to be hard to call a recession, especially when the White House is redefining and the Fed is redefining what a recession is and the Treasury Department is redefining what a recession is. But I'll tell you, we're going to start seeing unemployment. And when we see unemployment, we'll know it. And Mitch, um, where are opportunities in the commercial real estate world right now? Um, I think the, the most glaring opportunity is multifamily that I talked about. Office, office is very, very uh, unsure 
I think retail retail was disrupted before the the pandemic lockdowns. Uh, retail may have had a resurgence for people sort of going out and shopping again in stores, but the disruption from retail is is tough. I do like industrial, but I think that industrial may have gotten ahead of its skis a little bit, and um, you're seeing a little bit of a drawback from Amazon and some of the other e-commerce players that they may not need as much space as they thought they would. Um, I like the lodging sector a lot um, because the lodging sector has proved to be the most resilient of all the sub-asset classes, uh, and the reason is that they can reprice their product every two minutes, right? And we certainly haven't created more supply of, uh, of hotels, and we still need them. So I like the I like the lodging sector, uh, lodging multifamily places with beds is basically what I like, and. I like the single family market if you can find pockets that you can create homes in. And that seems counterintuitive right now, but I still go back to what I said earlier. We still have a shortage of housing. And if you can find a way to build housing better, faster, and cheaper, I think that there's a tremendous opportunities in housing. Yeah, well, good point. Um, we're finding opportunity in uh, assumable loans, right? Some of these loans, uh, CMBS loans, for example, were we're done at really low rates. Uh, for example, we have a $47 million Class A gold lead building that we couldn't quite get there when the defeasance was seven or eight million. <laughs> but now that there's no defeasance and someone can assume the loan, it's like, wow, this is really a good opportunity. And, and one of the things I've, I've seen in, in my career going through downturns is you learn to get creative, right? You learn to get creative when, when financing is more difficult and, and the economy is changing quickly. What, what do you see out there for creativity and ideas for folks? I'm going to say two things about creativity. One's a plug for something I'm working on, uh, but the first is a plug for you. And you and I met probably in 2010, and that was one of your early guests back when you were, you know, renting space in a radio, an FM or an AM radio station to record your uh, your shows. I, I'll text you a picture. I started on my phone of one of my first appearances on your show. Nice. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is, you were navigating uncertain times as a broker. That was your business. That was your primary business investment sales. And, you know, getting the word out about who you were and, and, and what opportunities were in real estate. Uh, you created a, a radio show, a podcast, became a video platform, right? That is creativity. That is using tools that exist. You didn't invent any new technology. You just used pre-existing tools and exploited them for lack of a more elegant uh, term to get your word out and create awareness and grow your market share, right? That's, that's how people need to get creative. Everybody thinks when it's time for creativity, we need to invent something new. No, we need to just take advantage of things that are already out there. But I have a client that's actually doing something unique in California. There's certainly a housing affordability crisis uh, across the country, but pretty acute in California. And there's a shortage of housing in California as evidenced by homelessness and other societal issues. So this client of mine is actually taking advantage of an existing piece of legislation uh, you can buy a single family lot as of right in the state of California and put up to eight units of rental housing on that uh, lot. So what they're doing is they're buying single family lots, raising the property, I mean, tearing it down uh, and building new construction rental apartments. 
But since there's a lot of homogeneity in the lot configuration in California, what they've realized is to get ahead of the game, they can start manufacturing the exoskeleton for the home in a factory. So as soon as they uh, finish the demolition and have all the right permits in place, they can start delivering the materials to the job site, take out a lot of subcontractor risk and start assembling the property uh, vertically and horizontally on site, as opposed to delivering raw materials to the site and building them there. Those raw materials were delivered to the factory. It's not prefabrication per se. It's not modular housing. It's just a more efficient way of doing it. So what does that mean? From purchase of uh, existing house to certificate of occupancy for the rental apartments, they're delivering in about 13 months. That compares probably to 24 plus months for most traditional uh, garden apartments, if not longer. So they're taking that savings in time and monetizing it by being able to deliver that housing to the marketplace at a lower rent level, right? So, you know, instead of being $18, you know, for something, it's $15. And I'm just trying to use, you know, dollars as opposed to square footage and all that stuff. And so the fact of the matter is, the other thing is there's, it's very ESG, right? Because there's no building waste. When you leave a job site, uh, what do you see? You see dumpsters filled of excess wasted material. Um, they have solar panels. They have charging stations for, for EVs. Uh, it's very ESG, it's very green, it's very California. But I, there's nothing about what I just said that was technologically advanced. There's no 3D printing going on there. Taking advantage of uh, a piece of legislation that's very favorable, that was put on the books to create more housing and do it quickly. And they're doing it and they're doing it fast. So I think that's what this market calls for people who will take risks in markets like this, do things differently. I would say the real estate world is Einstein's definition of insanity. They keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And if you're willing to do something differently, you're probably going to get a better outcome. Yeah, good point. And, uh, and that's funny. Yeah, doing the same old thing. And, and we're, we're seeing uh, the same thing uh, on the front lines here where uh, some developers and investors uh, and sellers and lenders are are getting a creative moving forward. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's an opportunity. A lot of uh, investors are kind of happy, you know, uh, about the market where there's less competition and they're getting at a better price per square foot and, uh, and, and further below replacement costs, thinking that uh, that's good for their future. Well, Mitch, what would you leave the audience with to think about for the economy and commercial real estate moving forward? Listen, if, if I've learned anything in my you know, four decades in this industry, there's a high correlation between uh, the jobs market and the real estate market. And if I were going to keep an eye on anything, I'd keep an eye on the jobs market. Uh, I, I, one of my first TV appearances, that was probably a thousand TV appearances ago, but one of my first TV appearances, I said the three most important words in real estate, and this is right around the time I met you, it was probably 2009, 2010. So the three most important words in real estate isn't location, location, location. It's jobs, jobs, jobs. And I would keep an eye on the job market. If the job market starts showing cracks, meaningful cracks, that could be a headwind for real estate, which means you better reevaluate pricing. It doesn't mean real estate's dead on arrival. It just means you need to reevaluate pricing. 
if the job market continues to hold up the way it is, right, there's 10 million job openings in this country and less than around half of that in terms of number of unemployed people, if we still have this disrupted jobs market that is creating jobs, even if it's second and third jobs, that means there's still demand drivers for uh, commercial real estate and uh, cash flow in people's pockets uh, to pay rent. I am very concerned about inflation. And I think you got to keep an eye on that as well. Uh, it's going to take a while. Inflation's sticky, and it takes a while to bring it down. And the only way to really fix it is to have inflation fix itself. When the consumer says, "No moss, I'm just not paying any more for that." But uh, it's you know, if that happens and the economy takes a tumble, then you're going to see it reflected in the job market. So just keep an eye on those uh, first Friday in every month jobs reports. But don't just take them on the headline number of jobs created. Uh, keep go dig into the details. Read the read the fine print in the, the Wall Street Journal or the Bloomberg story about it. And keep it on the jobs market. Yeah, good point, Mitch, and great information. Good to see you. Uh, thanks for joining us from uh, Florida. Yeah, and I hope that storm Nicole that's on her way. That's why I'm just so casually. I was trying to batten down the hatches with the Florida flag here. Uh, hopefully. Uh, Storm Nicole doesn't wreak too much damage, but stay safe, fellow Floridians. And Michael, I hope to see you soon. All right. And good luck down there, Mitch. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for joining us around the country. Please let us know what you think. We appreciate you connecting with us. And we do appreciate you sharing the show and connecting with us on social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.